Well, we welcome to uh, uh, 2019, first Sunday, and uh, 2019, January 2019. Hard to believe that, isn't it? 19 years into a new millennium. And um, if you're expecting to hear a message today about resolutions or about uh, a new you for the new year or a new year for a new you, you might be disappointed because I don't want to talk about that. I hope you've made some resolutions and rather made some commitments you're going to keep. And uh, one word of caution I would give to you is if you make the resolutions, uh, make them where you are totally dependent upon God to be able to hold true to those resolutions. And there will be spiritual commitments when you do that. But what I wanted to do today is to address uh, the life of our church and, and talk about facing the future. I think it's something that we really need to do, facing the future. And as we begin um, thinking about the, th- facing the future and, and what we need to do to realize that is, when we come into this month of January, I think it's neat to remember that it's named after the Roman god Janus, who is usually depicted as a man with two faces, one looks back into the past year, uh, and, and, and the face bears traces of sorrow and dismay and perplexity. And I think if we look back into 2018, while there were many blessings in the life of our church, we saw some of those same things. Certainly there was sorrow at the deaths that we had and dismay and perplexity. But then the other face on Janus was forward-looking, and it personified hope and confidence, and that's what I want us to do as we face the future in the life of our church, is to face the future with hope and with confidence. Because there's a great challenge for us as a church continually, and that is that we have to continue to work on being intentionally missional and fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission that God has given to us as a life of a church. We're not just supposed to sit here and be content with who we are and what we're doing. Now, there are a lot of things that this church does that's missional, that are missional, and they, and they are great things. Mission trips that we had to uh, in New York this year and, uh, and Trinidad. Uh, there's missional work that takes place out here in Northeast Columbia in some low-income areas, and, and many of you support that uh, and, and with Christie's ministry in many different ways. Some of you go and work with her on doing those things. Um, there's other, other things that are being done, good news clubs in the schools and all those kinds of things, and many, many, many more. I think maybe we, we need to uh, do, do a better job of getting the information out about some of the missional things that we do. But at the same time, in the life of our church, it's time uh, that we revision. Uh, It's time for us to to focus on being intentionally missional and to accept the great challenge uh, of reaching our community with a mindset that we've never had before. As we face the future, we need to realize where we are right now. And and you, you have to understand that I'm trying to be easy on this, but at the same time trying trying to be truthful and tell you where we are. And that is that we have reached a, a, a level of plateau in the life of our church, and then some. Uh, a little bit on the decline right now. You know, we still love each other, and things still go, go well, and, and a lot of good things that take place in a community because of Spring Valley Baptist Church. But at the same time, we're on a bit of a decline, and there's several reasons for that. One is we fit into that national pattern that everybody's talking about, that church attendance, now regular church attendance, is basically once a month. And that, that's the way you measure church attendance with some, with some folks. In fact, there's some, uh, like Tom Rainer from the Sunday School, uh, from uh, Lifeway, he used to be the Sunday School Board, they talk about you need to measure your attendance on a monthly basis rather than week to week. 
Well, I think you get a distorted picture of that. But that's, that's one of the issues, that the attendance patterns have changed tremendously. Uh, and, and that's a reflection upon how much we yield to the culture and the community that's around us. Um, we, we just seem like, while we have great things going on, we never have really reached our potential for making an impact into the lostness and the darkness of sin into Northeast Columbia, like I think God has called us to do. We're situated here on this hill. We have beautiful location, wonderful facilities. And we have to use them for the glory of God. But just sitting here is not going to attract people and bring people. Some might drive by, see something they like and come in. Some of you have done that. But we have to be intentional about being the church and being positive about that. And I want to set the tone for that by beginning with a passage of Scripture that hopefully is familiar to you out of Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And hopefully as we get into it, you'll recognize that there are two great things that take place. Peter's great confession of who Jesus is, and then Jesus' great statement about establishing the church. And I want you to hear again what he says about the church as he's established it. So, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. If you wonder why that last sentence is in there, it's because it wasn't time for Jesus to reveal who he was as the Messiah. And the reason for that is because if he had revealed himself at that point as the Messiah, the people would try to take him and make him a king and a ruler and a dictator because that's what they were looking for in the Messiah, someone who would come as a mighty conquering warrior who would deliver them. They didn't understand that he would come as God in the flesh, a babe born who would grow to manhood and would die on the cross to liberate them from the power of sin. That's what Jesus is talking about in the life of the church. That he's given to us the keys to the kingdom. Whatever we bind here will be bound there. Whatever we loose here will be loosed there. In other words, the church is the representation, the body and the bride of Christ on the earth now. And we have been given the keys of the kingdom. Not to any other organization or any other entity, but given to us. And it's tremendously important that we understand that, that God calls us to be on mission with him. Now, can churches succumb to failure? Absolutely. In fact, recent statistics tell us that six to 10,000 churches in the United States die, close the doors, and go out of business every year. That averages out to be about 100 to 200 churches every week in the United States close their doors and go out of business. I remember in 1993, we had an adult mission trip to the Boston area. And I was so surprised, as was the rest of the team, when we found out about uh, there were several churches that were having celebration services. 
And they were celebrating what the church had done in its years of existence. But when they ended that service that day, they closed the doors and they handed the keys over to ethnic groups who had come from other countries who were establishing Christian churches in the city of Boston. Well, that's made it around the nation now that churches are dying. Churches are closing up. But the promise that Jesus gave to us is that his church, the church overall, the bride of Christ will not die. It will not decline. It will not perish, but rather it will overcome the gates of hell itself. So when we find ourselves at the point of where we're beginning on on the slippery slope of decline, what do we need to do? Revitalization is needed. A revisioning is needed. And that's what we have done. Let me share with you briefly what we began in the fall. We started in the fall uh, with some focus groups, inviting some people in, about over 100 or so, to come in on Sunday afternoons and, and to do some dialogue, answer some questions about the life of Spring Valley as they perceived it. And let me share with you some of the questions that they were, they were asked. After some uh, uh, demographic stuff about the age and all that and how long they've been in the church, then there, there were three basic questions. What a what are three signs of health and strength of our congregation during the past year? And a lot of good things were mentioned. Then the second question was, what are two or three of your hopes and dreams for the future of our congregation? And there was some great input given to that. And then what are the three areas of challenge for our congregation that it must address to realize these hopes and dreams? And one particular that came out of that was, was the time for revisioning. And it is. You see, our mission it's always the same, and that is to make disciples. But how you do that is the vision. And, and in 2019, we have to revision because the world out there is totally different than it was when this church was established in 1980. Now, let me tell you the second thing we've done. And that is that we've, we've looked at this culture that we are living in today. And things have changed rapidly, so rapidly you might not recognize it. I've given you this statistic over and over and over. It just blows my mind. That in school district 2, Richland district 2, in which this church is placed, there are about 48 different languages spoken. And that gives you a hint of some diversity that we face out here in our community. Now, here's what I want you to get a picture of. is our church field. Come down from Blythewood down 77 to where it hits 20. And then from 20, go east towards Camden. And there are four zip codes basically that we draw from. The Blythewood zip code, what is that, 29, okay, that's right, whatever it is. 29223, 29229, and 29045. That's uh, towards Eldon, Camden area, out that way. And we draw from basically those areas. Let me tell you about that, that area. Just get a picture of that in your mind. Kind of just an L shape going this way like that, okay? All right. The population of that area is almost 100,000 people. That would make Richland Northeast the fifth largest urban area in the state of South Carolina. Now, that's significant for us. Now, here's another thing to notice, though. The population growth in that draw area has slowed significantly, and it's projected to continue to at a slower rate over the future years. In other words, not as many people are going to be moving out here. We need to move. We need to act. Let me tell you something about this community and the diversity of it. The population of this area is growing older at a rate faster than it is all throughout the state of South Carolina. The fastest growing age group in our church field are those who are 65 and above. 
That's the fastest aging, fastest growing age group, 65 and above. The second fastest growing age are those 25 to age 34, singles and young families. And that's an exciting thing about life in this church. See the, the, the two spectrums you got there? Those who are over 65, fastest growing, and those who are over 25 to 34, singles and young families, okay? Now, the fastest declining age group in our demographic area are families aged 35 to 54. That's a prime target for us, but that's the fastest diminishing group, followed by people ages 5 to 17. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that in the coming years, there are going to be less children. There are going to be less students. I think we're already seeing some of that reflected in our children and our student ministries. So that tells us something about our, our uh, focus groups and how we're beginning to address where we are. And tells us something about the church field, our area, where we are located to be on mission for God. And when I study that, one of the great prayers that I have in my heart is that we are intentionally doing more to reach people in this community, that the culture of our church would be more reflective of the culture that's out around us in the community because it's tremendously diverse. We need to work on that. Now, as we move through this very quickly, I want to point out four things that I think that we must do if we're going to be successful in this revision. Now, what, what we will do as staff is is that we're going to have some skull sessions talking about these issues. Um, we're going to then take some time involving more of you again in, in drafting the vision statement. And then some of the, the points underneath that as to how we will move forward to implement uh, the mission, uh, which is to make disciples. So we, we, that's, that's yet to come. That's what we're going to start on early this year in moving towards that. But here's, here's some of the directions that you need to be thinking about as we as the church start to be more intentionally missionary. First, we must look upward. If we're going to be successful, we must look upward. Of course, that means that we have to look upward and rely upon God like we've never done before. God has something in store for this church, I think, that is the utmost importance for us. And the only way that we will find that out is to turn to God, who is the source of all knowledge, all wisdom. And, of course, the way that we do that is that we pray. And we pray very, very intentionally for the life of our church. We need to pray for our church that God will give to us his guidance, his direction, his leadership, his vision for what he wants us to accomplish for his name and for his glory and for his kingdom. Let me give you a passage of scripture that I think can be a guiding passage of scripture for that. It's in Colossians 1, 9. The apostle Paul wrote it to the church in Colossia. And this is what he wrote so many years ago. He said, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now that's a great prayer to pray. Paul prayed that for the church in Colossia over 2,000 years ago. And here is how we can pray it. Asking God for understanding, for wisdom, and for direction. Now you ought to see on your outline there some bullet points under that. I think there are five which give us a little more detail 
uh, uh, direction about how we should pray for the life of our church. First of all, we need to pray that we would experience true worship. Doesn't matter whether it's our, our um, traditional blended worship or whether it's our contemporary praise service. It needs to be true worship which encounters the very heart of God. And that we come with the right attitude when we come to worship. And that we are prepared to worship and that we would experience true worship. Because when we do, then we leave from here on mission for God. Then secondly, we need to pray that we will know, that we will accept, and we will obey the word of God. That we will know, accept, and obey the word of God. Statistic out now revealing that discipling has its most profound point of origin in the word of God. The study and the reading of the word of God, number one, in, in determining spiritual growth as a disciple. So, we want to pray for experience true worship. Pray that we will know, accept, and obey the word of God. Number three, pray for unity in the church. When we start looking at, at, at what we need to be doing, you're going to have a lot of opinions. We're going to have to narrow those down. There might be some things that we say, well, yeah, you know, we've been doing that for a long time, but what, what's the... What's the dividends coming from? And we might not need to invest any more time or money in that. But we need to invest our time and money in this. And so we have to pray that we would be united as we go through that process. Then number four, we need to pray for a great harvest of unchurched people. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Pray for a great harvest of unchurched people. And then number five, we need to pray for joy in the hearts and lives of all of us. We of all people, God's people, the church, who have come to know Jesus Christ, had our sins forgiven and the guilt and shame of our sins removed. And, and we are in a wonderful, loving, personal relationship with God that's real and meaningful. We ought to be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. There will be sorrow that will come into your life. There will be pain that will come into your life. There will be death. There will be all kinds of downturns that will come into your life. But your joy should not be diminished because you're in a relationship with God Almighty. And we ought to be joyful about the opportunity to be here and be a part of this church and be a part of what God wants to do through us. Many, many years ago, Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation movement, said, As it is the business of tailors to make clothes and the business of cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. So we must look upward and pray and ask for God's wisdom and guidance. Secondly, we must move forward. We must move forward. It's always easier to be looking in the rearview mirror and looking at the past because we know what's back there. We, we know what happened in this last year. We don't know what's ahead of us. So many times in the life of a church, people who have a tendency to say, well, you know, we used to, and you can fill in the blank. We, we used to. And sometimes I hear people say, you know, we used to be a praying church. Some people say, yeah, we used to be a mission church. Well, you know, number one, nobody told you to quit. We offer you the opportunities to do that in many different settings, many different ways. We, we offer you mission trips, the opportunity to, to go on mission trips, the opportunity to be involved in missions right here in, around our building, not far from our building. It's up to you to determine whether you want to be a part of it. But what a lot of churches try to do 
is to, they, it comes time to revision is they want to do things the way they did when the church was founded. Let me tell you, when this church was started in 1980, the things that we're doing then, they're not going to fit into 2019. Things have changed differently, radically. We've got to look at how we do things and why we do things. Times have changed. We can always learn from the past. And we need to focus on, on, on what we have learned from the past. But most importantly, we need to face the future. We need to face the future. You see, the reality is the future is going to come and move on whether Spring Valley Baptist Church decides to get on board with it or not. The future is going to move on whether we get on board with it or not. We need to constantly be looking forward with optimism and hope because we have prayed and asked for God's wisdom. You'll find on your outline, Philippians 3, 13 through 14, the apostle Paul wrote and said to the church at Philippi, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul says, I haven't gotten there yet. We'll, we'll keep saying in this process, hopefully as we continue to work on this revisioning uh, and, and focusing on that missional concept, we're going to be growing and we're going to be reaching people. But at the same time, we're going to say, well, we haven't really gotten there yet. We haven't reached our full potential yet. And God will let us know if we ever do. But he'll keep on urging us forward, urging us forward. You see, if God is really who he claims to be, and he is... And if the church is really God's movement and people to change the world, and we are, then that means that we who are the church of Jesus Christ have the power and the purpose to accomplish what God wants us to do if we look forward and depend upon God. Now that leads to the third thing I want to say, and that is we must change inwardly, inwardly. Some of you might have done what I did during the holidays. You, you might have watched uh, a good many uh, football games, bowl games particularly were going on. I think somebody told me that there were 41 bowl games now. Do you remember the day, some of us remember that, when you look forward to New Year's Day because there were four major football bowl games that were on, right? Four major bowl games. You would have the Sugar Bowl, you would have the Cotton Bowl, you would have the Orange Bowl, and you would have the Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all. And beautiful parades that went along with them. We hardly ever see the parades now, it's just the folks on the ball game. I got to see a little bit of the Rose Bowl parade this year, and it reminded me of an incident that happened, uh, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. That the Rose Bowl parade was taking place and all the floats adorned with all the beautiful roses. That's how they make them. They're all made out of roses. Now, I don't know what was underneath this one particular float, whether it was a tractor or whether it was a truck, whether it was a car or whatever. But at some point in the parade, this float came to a stop, a standstill. And, of course, that backed up the parade. Nobody could pass. Nobody could go on and go by. They had to go get some gasoline to put back in that vehicle under the float because it had run out of gas during the Rose Bowl parade. Now, if that's not bad enough, it was the standard oil company float that ran out of gas. Now, what's that got to do with who we are and moving forward and looking inward? Well, I think a lot of times we try to do what God calls us to do in his power on our power. And we get burnt out. 
and we get disillusioned and we get defeated and we certainly don't succeed. We, we can only be successful as the church when we allow God's power and his strength to be at work inside of us. Ephesians 3.20, he tells us he can do it immeasurably more, extremely more than we could ever imagine or even ask for because he has all the power to do that. And we need to praise God for that. And we need to ask him into our life. We need to depend upon his power. You see, when we seek to change inwardly through the power of God, we're admitting that we're mere humans We don't have the ability to save the world. We don't have the strength to keep going. We don't have the staying power to keep the church alive. But we're saying to God, while we don't have those abilities, he does. And he knows how to use that strength and power. Let me share with you a great passage of scripture out of Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. It's the great exchange. Isaiah writes and says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not become faint. That's the great exchange that we exchange our weaknesses for God's strength and his power. And that's what enables us to be successful. Sometimes it's a few people in the life of the church doing so many jobs that what happens is they get burnt out. We need to address that in the future as we move forward. We need more people to step up and lead. Use your spiritual gifts and depend upon God's strength, His power, and His ability. And then fourthly, we must reach outward. That's the outreach. That's reaching out to people who do not know Jesus Christ. William Temple said a long time ago, the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. You ever thought about that? You said, you said, well, I'm a member of the church. What, what, why? Church doesn't exist for something for me? Well, it does. You come here to get spiritually fed, to fellowship, to learn the word of God, to worship God. But we exist for those who are not yet here. Why? Because we're called to be on mission with God to reach those who do not know him. December 23rd, as we were going through the songs of Christmas, that day we talked about uh, the, the great carol, Go Tell It on the Mountainside. And we talked about the significance of outreach and telling the good news. And I shared with you that the population of the state of South Carolina is 4.89 million thereabout. And of those 4.8 million people, 3.6 million of those people do not have a church relationship. They do not have a church that they call their own. They do not have a church relationship where they can find comfort, support, strength, and spiritual growth. Those people need to be reached. If we've got about 100,000 people in our church area, and we know that, that about 3.6 million people in the state aren't, aren't, aren't in a church somewhere, and we know that we're one of the largest areas in the state in our church field. And that tells us we know a lot of people. We not, might not readily admit it, but we know a lot of people who need to be reached. And we need to look outward and see them. 
On December 23rd, I also shared this passage of Scripture with you. I want to just share it again. This was Paul's vision for how he would be missional and reach out. He said, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Why do we exist? Why do we reach people in the name of Jesus Christ? It's for the glory of the gospel, for the glory of the kingdom of God, for God's glory. That's why we seek to grow the kingdom of God. We need to reach out. We need to have a mindset that reaches out. What happens when you become inwardly focused is you simply dry up and die as a church if you're not looking outwardly. One of the other things that we've done as a staff is that we read the book by Tom Rainer called Scrappy Church. He's talking about churches who are willing to scratch and claw and do whatever they have to do to exist and get out of that declining state and get back on mission with God. And one of the things he talks about in there is quite often when the church has been so inwardly focused, it has to have a jolt so that, that they will get outwardly focused. And he calls that outward deluge. And he talks about a variety of churches and the way that they began to focus outside of the walls of the church. Those are going to be some things that we're going to be talking about, praying about, asking God to reveal to us as we go through the revisioning process in the life of our church. You see... If we cannot see the world around us in need of a Savior, then we're looking in the wrong direction and with the wrong set of eyes. Right now, we have the benefit of living in a mission field that God literally has brought the world to us. He's brought people from all over the world right here to us. And we have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to go into that field with the greatest message ever, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he loves you, he died on the cross for your sins. You can have a real relationship with God that's meaningful and purposeful. You can find meaning and purpose for your life in a relationship with God. You can experience abundant life here, and you have an eternal life and the glories of heaven with God when you die and leave this world. That's the good news of the gospel that we're called to share. Let me tell you two other things that we're going to get going on, I think kind of dovetail with where we are right here and what we're planning to do is that God willing, starting two weeks from today, uh, because next week I think there's a celebration of some sort going on and I'm not preaching, my son Andrew's preaching. But two weeks from now, I, I hope and plan on a sermon series out of the book of Acts, just simply looking at the book of Acts in the early church and asking the question, how did they do it? How did they reach people? And day by day they grew, and they grew by the thousands and, and they turned the world upside down. You know, that, that culture in which the church was birthed is so much like the culture we live in today. We're going to take a look at that for several weeks until we just exhaust what God teaches us out of there about that early church in the book of Acts. The second thing is, I think it's also interesting, timely, providential from God. 
that the January Bible study book for this year is the first three chapters of the book of Revelation that deal with the seven churches to whom Jesus Christ wrote the seven letters. And I'm going to be teaching that on Wednesday nights. Now, I think it's so powerful. You go in there and you look at each, each church. They had some good things. They had some bad things. Christ told them what to do to get right. And we're going to look at each one of those. And I think we can learn some lessons from those churches. So here we are on the first Sunday of the new year. Standing on the threshold of all that God has before us. Realizing now, hopefully, that we need to be more intentional about being the children of God. Being the church of God. Being the church at Spring Valley that's on mission with God in this community. So we need to pray for God's wisdom and guidance. We need to pray that we will seek his face and his will for the life of our church. Then we need to be obedient to what he tells us to do. So that we will hear him say one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you pray with me for that? Will you pray for for God's wisdom and power and spirit to rain down on this church? Join me as we pray in closing. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to be our Savior, that he would die for our sins and grant to us the forgiveness that we all need. Thank you, Father, then that as we believe in him, trust in him, we are part of the church and, and your church will not fail. Your church will continue to batter the gates of hell and will be successful. Help us, Father, to be a church that accepts that challenge, that we're not content to sit here in status quo, but that we're ready. We're ready to step up. We're ready to step up with a different heartbeat and a different message and different methods around us that will take the message of Jesus Christ to the community around us. Father, we pray for these things, asking them for you in, in your name and for your glory through Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.